From KOS in Omaha, you're listening to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock, and today I'm talking with Julia Steiner from the band Rat Boys. My approach is the first song on the record should be something that really grabs your attention, something that kind of stops you in your tracks and you stop whatever you're doing and listen to it. And then the second song has the immense responsibility of keeping you engaged, saying, oh, interesting. Whether it sounds similar or different, it's just something that needs to keep you kind of locked in and say, oh, okay, like this is something that I'm, I'm down to keep experiencing. And then the third song is your chance now that you have the listener locked in, ready to go. That's your chance to throw in a little surprise, to do something different and push or, you know, stretch the listener's expectation. We're talking about how Rat Boys came to be and what to expect at their show on October 19th at the Reverb Lounge. Stay tuned for the conversation after this break. Welcome to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock. I've been thinking a lot about genres like alt, punk, indie. We've often talked about these concepts in relation to film. And it's funny because there was a point when these things were directly in opposition to something mainstream or corporate. But then along the way, they also just became styles and aesthetics and popular in their own right. I don't really know what it means to be alt-rock or alt-country these days. I get into this with my guest today, Julia Steiner, who sings and plays guitar in the band Rat Boys. Rat Boys has a new album out called The Window, and they'll be playing at the Reverb Lounge on October 19th. Here's Morning Zoo from the new album. And here is my conversation with Julia Steiner. As I was prepping for this interview, I, I found that I, I got stuck pretty fast thinking about genres. And, you know, Rat Boys is sometimes classified as alt-country or alt-rock. And, you know, listening to the music, I, I can understand, at least in theory, what that means. But I'm also not sure I have a clear idea what it means to be alt these days. How, how do you classify Rat Boys, or do you? Yeah, I mean, that's such a good point. We um, So every week, uh, the guys and I in the band, we, we do this thing called Music League. This is kind of an aside, but basically we try to come up with songs that fit a theme. Um, and this past week, the theme was Y'alternative. <laughs> uh, I don't know who came up with that, but we were trying to like, with some of our friends, we were trying to submit songs that fit kind of that alt-country genre tag that exists and has existed for a while but seems to be kind of having like a moment right now and um it was interesting like it's all over the it's all over the map you know even within like a single kind of niche genre like an alt country genre there's so many different styles and kind of sensibilities and like types of approaches with storytelling and and obviously you have like 
certain instruments that are kind of signatures of certain genres. And so, um, but yeah, I just find it so amazing how much variety there can be even within like a single, um, like you said, kind of like alt genre. And so, I mean, I personally love the music that typically gets kind of classified into the alt country sphere, like anything with uh, like, you know, those simple cowboy guitar chords and like, like steel guitar or fiddle. I just love those sounds. And so, um, you know, I take it as a compliment whenever we get lumped in with, with that genre. But um, I don't know, like, I don't, I don't think most of our songs sound like that. So it, it is kind of tough to figure out what genre we are. I don't really, uh, I don't really have like an elevator pitch worked out quite yet. Well, you know, Alt has roots in like a kind of punk or counterculture, you know, like we're not mainstream, we're authentic and cool. But then at some point, like indie and alt became these popular mainstream genres as well. And uh, I don't know, like did, did, does alt mean, like, is it in opposition? Is it just kind of variety? Do, do, is that something you think about? Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I don't necessarily think we're trying to make music that's like necessarily different from something you know we're not like striving to be like like you said the alternative to something I think it just happens naturally where like when you make music that might not necessarily be super um like digestible or like immediate in the way that like mainstream radio pop or rock music is then it just kind of gets classified as this like other thing um and we're cool with that. I mean, like we've always been, we've always had a lot of respect for like kind of the, the punk approach to being a band and like doing things yourself and trying to like not (laughs) exist solely to like prop up our like capitalist American like way of life. But at the same time, we love playing music and we just want to keep doing it. And so, uh, you know, like, we do have to sell records, I guess, to exist in that ecosystem. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's exciting to kind of just try to make music that we like and not really have to worry too much about like whether it's going to be on the radio or whether it's alt or something like we just kind of don't really think about it too much. Do, do you remember when indie music kind of entered your radar when you became aware or became a fan of it? Well, yeah, dude, I have like a pretty common story i think with this which chris walla who produced our new album knows which is that like i was one of those children that was watching the oc in 2003 which for anyone who doesn't know the oc was like a very popular teen drama (laughs) on um like just cable television or whatever and um death cab for cutie was like written into the show essentially as one of the main characters favorite bands and they actually came on the show and performed and so death cab for cutie on on the oc was absolutely like my first kind of memorable like formative exposure to indie rock music and then and then like expanding on that the whole oc soundtrack even still like if you go back and listen it's really kind of revolutionary how just how much amazing indie music they featured on like they kind of like shoehorned it into an otherwise very mainstream show um and i still really love listening to that soundtrack it uh it's up there with like the juno soundtrack as 
you know, a very formative listening experience for me growing up. Well, so yeah, those are those are like around the same time. Is that like was indie becoming uh, uniquely cool in that mid two thousands? You know, I have no idea. Like, I, I mean, so the OC thing was, if my memory serves, was like two thousand three, and and Juno came out in two thousand seven. So like, yeah, that whole like mid aughts time, it. I guess looking back, it does kind of seem like that, and it's hard for me to know because I was like, I was still kind of just really young and like coming of age, and. Also, to be fair, like, I just wasn't really, like, the coolest kid, you know? Like, I wasn't, um, I don't know what, like, if I was on the cutting edge of anything. I was I was also, like, the oldest child in my family, and so I didn't really have exposure to, like, bands who had come before. Like, I didn't have an older sibling to be like, listen to Green Day, you know what I mean? Like, I just, I didn't know. And so I was kind of discovering things the way that a lot of, like, teens and tweens were being marketed toward and i guess indie fit into that in some strange way um but i'm grateful for it because i don't think it was like dumbed down or like watered down indie music i think it was like really great music that some people just decided to feature which is really cool yeah i some people finding music i'm trying to think back to that time period because i i also did not have older siblings to give me music and i, I think Somehow my mom, I don't know if she likes music. I mean, she might be like one of the only people in the world who doesn't seem to care about music that much. Um, <laughs> and then my dad was really into like Guns N' Roses. He was into Green Day. And so I think I got some of it from him. Uh, and then he, he had like these weird opinions. Like he thought he was cool if he didn't like the Beatles because he was a Stones guy. And like this was. Oh, yeah. I feel like maybe that was the thing. That seems like a debate that should have been happening in like the 70s and 80s, not the 2000s. But. Uh, when, he, when he turned like 45, he, he talked to me. He's like, hey, you ever listen to the Beatles? Like, yeah, of course I listen <laughs> to the Beatles. They're everywhere all the time. And he's like, I think Hey, they... better late than never. Yeah, yeah. So like, I don't know. I, like, I had this weird formation, but I remember you'd find music through like people had, uh, what was that? Like LimeWire. They'd like illegally download everything. Um, and yep. I, it was almost like, a, you know, like, like there'd be like a drug dealer or something like, hey, you'd go to the kid and be like, you have any shins, you have any strokes? And, uh, you know, he'd like maybe have some music for you. And it was just kind of this random thing as opposed to the algorithm today. But that was probably the last time before the algorithm started to really shape people's taste, you know? Totally. I mean, yeah, it was more of an active kind of search for music. And I mean, obviously, it's like a digital version of what people were doing in like record stores before where you would physically go somewhere and kind of be searching the stacks for something new to check out. But yeah, like I, my biggest memory of growing up and like discovering music that way was really on on my family's desktop computer. I'm sure my family hated me for this. I would just hog it all day and like, go on the iTunes store and I wouldn't actually buy anything, but I would like find, I would go into the alternative or indie sections or whatever and look for like cool album art and listen for like, listen to like the 30 second clips of certain songs. And then I would like write those down and then beg my mom to drive me to the local record store and like, you know, use my like paltry, you know, monthly allowance to buy like a CD a month or something. And but it all started like looking kind of browsing in the iTunes store. So it was like it was a very transitional time because like MP3s were becoming such a thing. But even as a kid, I really wanted to own like the physical media. And so but I didn't have a record player. So CDs were the thing. Um, but yeah, I have like a weird fondness for that. I really miss like my iPod and having access to the iTunes store. It's just not, it's too easy now. You know what I mean? Like I'm grateful, but holy crap, it's too easy. 
If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Julia Steiner, whose band Rat Boys just released a new album, The Window, and they'll be playing at the Reverb Lounge on October 19th. Join the conversation on social media or call in with a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089, which we may play in one of our upcoming shows. Well, another thing I was thinking about when I was thinking about talking to you was uh, just in terms of the order of songs you listen to, right? Like when an album comes out on a CD, you would probably listen to it in order or like certainly on a record you would. Whereas now it's so normal for everyone just to have everything on uh, shuffle, which I, I think is a different way of, you know, thinking about the intentionality of the way that album was put together. Um, and I, I wonder if that trickles down to bands. Like do you, when you guys are putting together the track order, are you still as intentional as if you assume people will, at least enough people will be listening to this in the order of the songs that it's worth being really intentional about? Totally. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, album sequencing is like truly my favorite, probably my favorite part of making an album. And honestly, one of my favorite parts of like playing music or being in a band. I don't know. I, I love album sequences and like, I, I don't even really like care if there's a small minority of people that are pressing shuffle like i choose to believe and hope that there are enough people out there little freaks like me who are still so into like the format of a long player album that even if you're listening on your phone and you're not forced to listen in order like you would be on vinyl or whatever like that's that's the default and that's kind of like the journey that people are looking to take and i and i like as a listener, when I listen to my favorite bands or like a new album, I I trust that the artist has put a little bit of thought into it, you know, if not a lot of thought. But like I I love kind of uh, like zooming in on the album sequence and trying to kind of view it as a puzzle and like why the artist might have chosen that. And so we we spent, you know, like there was a lot of intentionality with with our new record and all of our albums for that matter like with album sequence and so hopefully people enjoy it or if you do press shuffle like whatever more power to you but i i there's something there if you don't how, how do you decide what order the songs should go and what's like are there rules to how the structure should look is it all kind of intuitive based on what you have or what's your approach well it is very intuitive but i would say there are also are rules like i i I, I thrive with a little bit of structure and parameters. And so what I, I always like to like, I, the, the way I think about it first is the first three songs of a record are really uh, important in my opinion. So I don't know if I read this somewhere or if I've just come to think about this over the years, but my, my approach is the first song on a record should be something that really grabs your attention. Um, something that kind of stops you in your tracks and you you like stop whatever you're doing and listen to it and then the second song has the immense responsibility of keeping you engaged like keeping you listening saying oh interesting whether it sounds similar or different it's just something that needs to keep you kind of locked in and say oh okay like this is this is something that i'm i'm down to keep you know experiencing and then the third song is your chance now that you have the listener locked in, ready to go. That's your chance to throw in a little surprise, to do something different and uh, kind of kind of test or push or, you know, stretch the listeners, um, maybe expectations or boundaries is the wrong word, but, you know, like kind of, kind of uh, just push things a little bit to the edge. And so I, some of my favorite, 
bands, I think, do that really, really well. Like Wilco is a band that I think kind of has that one, two, three step in a lot of their records that I love. Um, and then the last thing I'll say too, and I mean, I could talk about this all day, but I think the second to last song on an album is a sneaky, important spot as well, where there's an opportunity to kind of like uh, sneak in a song that might be that like might be someone's favorite song or like might be actually like low key, the best song on the album and have it be, you know, in a spot where you wouldn't expect such, you know, a uh, compelling or catchy or fun or memorable song to be <laughs> at the very end, but not at the very end. You know what I mean? So I, I love that trick as well. The very end. Well, you see, there there are different uh, different paths you can go down, and and we've gone down a couple of these paths over the course of our discography so far. Like, you can have kind of a loud, brash, like exclamation point on a record. Um, you can have kind of the contemplative um, question mark at the end of the record, which is what this new album has, and what um, our album GN has at the end um or there there's an opportunity i think to kind of be experimental at the end too and try something trippy and more hypnotic and kind of uh then when it ends <laughs> the listener is left almost like in a stupor um which is maybe how printer's devil our most recent album before this one ends i'm a total nerd about this stuff i could literally talk like i I think there should be college classes taught about album sequencing. I think it's really important and and just a cool way to express yourself. When, when did you start to think uh, critically about the way these albums are put together like that? I mean, do you go from sort of just finding music, you know, liking the album, listening to 30 seconds of it? Are you then sitting down and like intensely listening and thinking about all this stuff? Or what, when does that happen for you? Yeah, I think it was like the opportunity that I had to start recording myself. I immediately... I don't know if it was because I was listening to certain bands or songwriters or albums or what, but like, I just remember even the first time, like after I graduated high school, I got a laptop in preparation for going away to school. And um, like, I would record myself playing guitar through my you know laptop's computer mic. And that summer I like made, you know, a little demo CD, whatever, it doesn't matter. But um even like sequence, like I had a lot of fun. I remember sequencing that uh, selection of songs. So I think it's just as soon as I had the chance to kind of start um, hearing myself and also like uh, like placing different songs next to each other in a way where I had kind of control over it, I, I was hooked. I mean, I'm kind of a control freak, so like this is just an element I think that I that offers a lot of agency when you're making art. Um, so I don't know. I love it. I don't. I don't know if it was a certain album though that really got me there. Maybe it was Abbey Road. I don't know. Oh yeah, my dad probably just discovered how good Abbey Road is. <laughs> we got to get your dad on the show. <laughs> so Abbey Road spinoff. Yeah, yeah. I could. I could do that. He'd, he'd come on. He's not doing anything. Um, but so okay, wait. <laughs> you said you you started to do this in college. You started to record yourself in college. Did you have like a high school band? Well, no. So I I played alone. Like I. I had friends in high school, like I had a pretty healthy social life, but I, I was the only person in my friend group that really played music. And so 
I would just record myself, you know, alone in my bathroom. Um, and so I never played in a band before I met Dave and we started playing together. Um, so rap was, was really when we started even like my first experience playing in a band. It's very exciting. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I, I would have thought that there'd be people. I mean, I feel like there's always people in high schools who just want to do music because they love music. Everybody around you just was too busy. Uh, I don't know. Like, well, um, yeah, I mean, I, I no, well, there wasn't a problem, but I, I uh, went to like a Catholic all girls school and um, I, I was in choirs, you know, like I was, I was making music with people, but it wasn't, we weren't writing, you know, we were playing all the old hits like, uh, you know, Mendelssohn and stuff like that. But um, that was a choir joke. But anyway, um, yeah, I I just didn't know the. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if it has anything to do with girls and women just not really, you know, seeing that too much when we were growing up. Like, it's such a cliche for there to be like three or four boys in a garage, like getting together and bashing out loud music, even if they sound god awful and like i don't know if that just wasn't as much of a thing because most of my friends were girls and like to but to be honest i really wasn't even thinking about doing that i was having a lot of fun just playing acoustic guitar and covering sophie and stevens alone so <laughs> i don't know like i i didn't really even like start to dream bigger until i met dave and he was in bands and you know he kind of showed me the way did you learn anything from mendelssohn that's still uh, applicable I mean, I'll tell you what, like I, so I was, uh, I was the lowest harmony. I was the alto two in choir and there's something called a pedal note, which is, I don't know if it comes from pedal steel or what, but it's where you harmonize and you sing the same note. You just sustain the same pitch over the course of different words and lines. And that, that harmony trick has come in handy, um, a time or two. I'm talking with Julia Steiner, whose band Rat Boys just released a new album, The Window, and they'll be playing at the Reverb Lounge on October 19th. Follow Riverside Chats on social media and stay tuned for the rest of the conversation after this break. Here's the titular song from The Window. I walked across the green grass to where I knew you laid. The way the sun was shining down, I only saw your shape, but I to tell you everything before it's too late that I don't regret a single day you're so beautiful so take this part of me last in the
And welcome back to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock. You can find the backlog of all of our episodes wherever you get podcasts. And while you're there, we'd love it if you gave us a review. Today I'm talking with Julia Steiner, whose band Rat Boys just released a new album, The Window, and they'll be playing at the Reverb Lounge on October 19th. Here is their song, Empty. Here's the rest of my conversation with Julia Steiner. When you then start to write your own music in the in the context of like a band, you start to think about it in that sense. How how far off were you from the voice that you ended up finding? Because I imagine it's kind of exploratory in that in those early years. That's yeah, God, that's a that's a great question. I'm not sure if I like can properly answer it because I don't really know what. Uh, I, it's hard to kind of analyze myself, but. Um, I mean, I think I was already interested in like kind of observationally writing about the people in my life and like relationships. I mean, that doesn't, that's not the most unique thing, but um, I think I was already kind of leaning into that tension between kind of like dark lyrics and sunny uh, like music and, you know, those, those sorts of like Jenny Lewis things that I think she does so well. Um, I don't know. I mean, to be honest, when in 2021, we went back and re-recorded some of those earliest songs and I like was still kind of into it, you know, like I was, I, they felt fresh even like, um, you know, I look back at 
my 16 year old self and let's just say like the songs that I there are definitely songs that exist that would be maybe a little bit more melodramatic than something I would uh, care to share today but I mean for the most part I was pretty impressed with my younger self not to like gas myself up too much but it was it was it could have been worse you know well, and so, I mean, you're always sort of writing, uh, processing, everyone's kind of processing their own lives and their experiences in their music. But I think part of the appeal of indie is that it feels personal in a way, right? So that, was that something you were yeah. kind of always attempting to do from the beginning? I think so. Yeah. I mean, like, we have a song called Down the River, which is like on the first little EP that we put out. And then we re-recorded it for the 10-year Happy Birthday Rap Boy record. Um and I can literally go through the lyrics line by line and like pinpoint, you know, this line references something we learned in English class. This line references like literally a song we sang in choir. Like, you know what I mean? Like I, it was like my 16 year old life just down, down to each word. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. Like I, I, I enjoy when other songwriters are able to, to get personal but it still feels like interesting and not like too like precious to the point that it doesn't make sense to anyone else you know what I mean like I I I get I really enjoy when songwriters do that and so I guess I don't know if I'm actively trying to be in that lane also or if it just is kind of a taste thing that I'm able to to toe that line who, who do you think toes it well I mean, Jenny Lewis is a great example. She's top of mind. I just mentioned her. Um, even, God, like, I know I mentioned Sufian earlier. Um, he's, like, on my Mount Rushmore for sure. But he somehow manages to, like, weave these extremely personal threads with these, like, maximalist, like, existential, like, <laughs> religious threads that are that are things that it feels like you can't even comprehend. It feels like you're kind of constantly like zooming in and out of the universe and, you know, seeing the whole world and then like down to a grain of sand on someone's, you know, arm or something. Like it's it's just uh, really pretty insane. And not even just from album to album, but like within individual songs, he's able to do that. And so um, I don't know. I don't strive for that. I think that's like his thing, but but even with his most personal songs, they still, um, they're so like striking and captivating. I think that's a pretty special thing to be able to invite someone into your headspace like that. So when, when I know you had some experience doing choir, did that get you over stage fright? Was it difficult to start performing your own music? Oh man, I never really thought about that. I mean, I don't know. Like I, I performed for the first like well choir you don't I don't never really had stage fright in choir because you're like with a group and you're being conducted and it's you know um and you rehearse so much like there's really nothing that can go wrong unless you just like I don't know have a stroke on stage or no you know like it's all it's all gonna be great but yeah like I I played in like high school talent shows and stuff like that and I remember one of my teachers the first time I ever performed in front of like my classmates um, I, I like did a rehearsal for the talent show and she said, Hey, that was great. But like, you should, you know, keep your eyes open. Like, look at, you know, even if you don't look, have to look at the crowd, just keep your eyes open a little bit. And, uh, 
and that was oddly enough like a very formative critique and helped me kind of um it gave me confidence and also gave me something to like kind of work on early on and so um I'll never forget that that was really helpful but I never really had too much fear I mean I don't think I was like throwing myself into scary situations right away I was just playing for my friends so it was uh easy to ease in performing music that you wrote that's kind of about you there's a vulnerability that's being exposed there right was that was it difficult to start to do that or did it feel natural uh, yeah I mean I'm trying to think like I I it felt natural I mean like the the first song that I really started to show my friends this was a song called postman song which is on our first album um I wrote it like really young I think I was like 14 um and it's one of those songs where like it does kind of deal with like heavy personal stuff, but at the same time, it's like such a fun, breezy, like easy song that um, it didn't, it honestly kind of helped me get out of any sort of like, like, you know, intense headspace about real heavy thing. You know, it kind of like, like loosened things up for me and like freed me and um, just gave me something like fun to, to, do with my friends i'm talking like this is like really chill like we were like in a coffee shop and i wasn't like performing i just like brought my guitar as one of those kids just like brought my guitar and like we would just sit around in a circle and like drink our little you know milkshakes or whatever and like uh and just kind of loosely jam although i was the only one with the guitar you know what i mean like it was it was very uh, low stakes and supportive and i was having a good time so how did the stakes start to get higher? When did it start to become more of a, a real thing? Not for a while. I mean, we we really took our time. Like, um, I met Dave when I was 18. And um, even when we first started playing music together, it wasn't like we met up and said, okay, we need to have an, an album out by this date and we're going to start playing shows on this date. You know, like, we, we didn't have any career ambitions um, I was in school studying to be a journalist and he was studying to be an architect. And so um, we both like our, our main goal was just graduating. And so um, eventually we started touring after we graduated and uh, then, yeah, right around 2017. So like, gosh, I would have been like 25 or whatever um, was when someone uh, reached out to us about helping us book our shows. And we kind of had more of like a, um, just like people in the music industry wanting to uh, kind of buy into what we were doing. And that was kind of a wake up call for me where I was like, oh, we could maybe, you know, like try this. And it's just kind of snowballed gradually from there. So is journalism still something that you dabble in or did you drop that at some point? Um, I've never been like a published journalist outside of college. Like I, uh, I don't really have any clips beyond just things I've written, like essays or things I've written, like in the context of, of rap boys. But, um, it's something that I think has served me well, just general communication skills. Like I'm writing a lot of emails these days. Um, and it's something that I still really admire and appreciate. Like Sean, our bassist is a professional journalist and um, the work he does, I just know how hard it is and how kind of thankless it can be. And so I, uh, I keep my eyes, my eyes open. I, I, I appreciate and admire all the journos out there. 
Yeah, I, I, I think about 2017, 2018. I mean, that, that's a, it's a weird time for the culture, right? Uh, people are yeah. all obsessed with Trump a lot of the time. And it's also as like our, our media landscape is getting more and more fragmented. It seems like it's difficult to get uh, people to sort of, I don't know, to, to be interested in new music can itself be sometimes a challenge. Um, so, like, what, what was it like navigating the, the weirdness of 2017, 2018 as you guys were actually starting to take this more seriously and see where you could get? Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, it is crazy to think that 2017 was the beginning of Trump's presidency. Like, I, gosh, I don't even, it's hard to, like, remember when all of these kind of significant things or, like, awful things that he said um, happened. But, I mean, the craziest thing for us was we were on tour in in 2016 and, like, during the election um, and all of the lead up to that and just driving around the country and, the cognitive dissonance between the reality that we were seeing on the ground, which was Trump signs everywhere, and the things we were hearing on the radio and reading um, on like mainstream news outlets saying that Hillary was going to win in the landslide was extremely kind of disturbing. Um, and yeah, it was it was just truly wild to be kind of traveling the country during that time. But I mean, as far as like trying to get people to listen to us in the years to follow, like I think we were just really focused on playing as many shows as we could. And we got really lucky. We got to like open for some bigger bands who we're friends with and we were kind of constantly touring. And so I think we were just trying to keep our heads down and hope that if we played a lot of shows, people would uh, remember us or seek us out next time. And so, um, yeah, I don't I don't really I don't really know looking back. It is wild to think about. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Julia Steiner, whose band Rat Boys just released a new album, The Window, and they'll be playing at the Reverb Lounge on October 19th. Join the conversation on social media or call in with a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089, which we may play in one of our upcoming shows. Well, you, you've got sort of two big uh, moments that changed the whole landscape. One was, you know, Trump seems to sort of enter the U.S. into its new phase and then COVID, right? Um, yeah. So, like, you guys, I imagine, uh, were not doing a whole lot in 2020. Uh, you guys were about to go on tour, right? Yes. We were two days away from leaving. Wow. Two days. So that, that must have been devastating. <laughs> yeah, it kind of was. I mean, it was just such a massive um disruption but i mean it was for everyone so i was comforted that at least we weren't alone <laughs> dealing with it you know yeah but it's, it's like the second time in a few years that things probably felt weirdly apocalyptic and it's it's a weird time to be probably hopeful about this new uh this new venture you're on but then also like wow it feels like things are kind of falling apart everywhere totally god yeah that was just such a crazy time like i remember actually that year we were going to write a little or like I was going to write a little essay for Talkhouse about what it's like to tour during an election year, kind of comparing our experiences on the road in 2020 with our experiences on the road in 2016. And I was like getting all geared up for that and kind of like, you know, mentally prepping for for that aspect of the tour as well. And then it just all went away. Um, and so, yeah, it was just like so many layers of like plans and, um, you know, I'm like a hyper planner. And so it was just, it was pretty, pretty heart wrenching to uh, just watch everything disappear. Um, but I mean, there are silver linings, like, and I don't mean to dismiss or like, uh, 
you know, like diminish any of the real pain that happened during the COVID years. Um, but like we were able to figure out ways to to kind of deal with it and make the most of it. Um, like we would not have had as much time to work on the songs that are on this new record that we just put out. And, you know, we, some of, we got to start some really great working relationships during the pandemic that wouldn't have been an option otherwise. And so like, there were just, there's weirdness where I look back and I obviously have a lot of curiosity about what it would have been like if it hadn't happened, but also I'm weirdly like grateful for the things that came out of it for us. Well, so let's talk about the window then. What was what was the process like of starting to put it together and then how you guys were, I don't know, maybe influenced by some of what was happening in 2020 and then coming up with the actual songs? Yeah, well, so we had put out an album in 2020, um, two weeks before everything shut down. And um, so like our, our plan going into that year was to tour on that record and really like kind of play those songs out on the road. And obviously when that all went away, we kind of had to instantly shift gears um, mentally and just figure out what to do. We had all this like pent up energy that we were ready to use for touring, but we were able to kind of shift things and channel it into now all of a sudden starting to think about another record kind of right away. Like you don't, that's not usually how it goes. Like you'll put out an album and then tour on it for a while. And then maybe when the touring is starting to wind down, then you'll, kind of actively or like earnestly start to make plans for the next one but we kind of just immediately jumped into writing mode um way earlier than we were planning and um i mean it it worked out because like we had recorded printer's devil a while before then and so i already had some song ideas kind of ready to go and then um obviously in 2020 and 2021 you know new new ideas happen and so we just um we immediately, or I guess not immediately, it took like six weeks for us to start kind of getting together again um, in our little pod in the basement. And um, we just kind of started, yeah, working on songs. And we eventually took a little trip up to Michigan and did some demoing. And um, it was just a very gradual process of kind of uh, working on ideas and letting the songs take shape more gradually and like naturally than we might've had if it was a big deadline or something. We literally had no deadline and we had no idea when or if things would ever get back to normal. So it was oddly like it was pretty freeing to not have to be on a schedule. When when you have a new song that you're working on in a normal year, would you be sort of like workshopping that at the shows to sort of see how an audience reacts as opposed to this where it's more insular? You know, we haven't done that too much in the past, but I want to start doing that because I love, I love playing new songs, unreleased songs live and kind of getting people's um, like live unfiltered reactions um, is really, really cool. We haven't done that too much. The, the way it would work in the past really is like I would kind of write the bones of a song and then show it to Dave. And then in the past, Dave and I would kind of try to workshop it you know over the course of weeks and months and then and then we would give it to friends to record like or like to learn right before we went in to record but this time the difference was that I you know came up with the bones of the songs but then instead of me and Dave just working on them as a two-piece for a while I like immediately brought them to the entire band like 
including Marcus and Sean, who played drums and bass. And um, we would kind of work on the song as a full band for for weeks and months, like for a long time. Um, and so everyone was kind of working on their parts in tandem. And uh, it just, I don't know, it, it allowed us, I think it gave everyone a, more opportunities to be creative and like actually come up with parts that reflect, you know, who they are as musicians rather than me and Dave being like, play this, you know. It, it, it seems like each album uh, kind of has its own mood as well. Um, I don't know if that's just because you're writing from different places in life or different things are going on or just maybe even wanting to try something different. But would you say that the new album is kind of pushing you in new directions that you hadn't uh, explored before? I mean, yeah, I think I, yeah. And I'm curious what the mood of this one would be. I don't really, I don't really have like a sense for that. I think I'm like too close to that, but yeah, I, um, I mean, yeah, we were definitely pushing ourselves. Like one of the things that Chris suggested very early on, he kind of insisted upon it was uh, recording to tape, which was really cool. We had never done that before. Um, so that the experience of recording to tape and kind of being more, decisive about which take was the take and um and even just kind of learning about how those machines work was really cool um yeah i mean i think i'm always trying to push my voice a little bit farther with each album like in the past i was really obsessed with double tracking my voice and making it sound really perfect like no no blemishes um and over the last couple records i think i've kind of started to embrace more of the human aspect of of singing and uh kind of more of the feeling rather than the like technical perfection of the pitch or whatever and so um and chris was really all about that too and and he he was really like i don't know really tuned into kind of the thematic or lyrical content of a song and kind of questioning what the vocal treatment should be to reflect that or like based on that um and so for a song for instance for like a song like the window which is dealing with a or like narrated by a person who's lost someone or said goodbye and who's clearly alone all of a sudden it was really important to get a really strong single tracked or you know one voice singing the lyrics and so he was really like honed in on that and i i found that to be pretty uh powerful in the studio it's it's interesting when you talk about the uh the imperfections or the i think the the humanity of not being completely perfect because it seems like something that you've been drawn to that we've sort of talked about from the beginning of this conversation is there is something about like alt and indie that wants i mean like punk rock for example definitely embraces imperfection in a lot of ways and this new album I, i'm trying to articulate too what it felt like to me because it seems like there's there's a, a a polished element to it but at the same time there's some kind of spirit of not being overly polished or a spirit of like that human authentic uh like imperfection is almost even the wrong word for it but that i guess that humanity is the word you used maybe that maybe that maybe you you had the word for it and i'm just kind of dancing around it i think is what happened here <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's like what I'm into. Like just selfishly, you want something that sounds good. You know, like I want the guitar to be in tune, you know, but like, I I think when you can listen to something and know immediately that it was played by a human being, you know, that's, uh, that's really 
compelling that's like something i want to hear like a person i just want to connect with someone you know and um and obviously as our world continues to maybe go down the path of like um or like artificial intelligence creating art which is such a wild uh concept to me like i think that'll just become more and more like sacred and something to cherish um but yeah i mean that being said i i i i really like that mix of you know something sounding authentic and like original to a person but also um having that little bit of studio polish or like you know you can tell that someone made this with their heart but also they knew how to work the equipment that they were using you know like that that uh combination i think is like is my favorite thing and that that's really what chris walla does like he he knows how to use all the studio gear like the back of his hand um but he knows how to use it in a way that sounds like fresh each time and and like a person was doing it not just a machine or something do you have a favorite song to perform when you're on tour um yeah i mean especially from this new batch of songs i really like doing black earth wisconsin which is the long song on the album um mainly because it's it's so different than any other song in our um our catalog for lack of a better word like i um I really just try to stay out of the way. Like I, I just get to kind of sit back and watch Dave who plays guitar uh, just shred. And he, and he plays, you know, each solo is different. It's like a thumbprint or something. And so um, it's amazing just to kind of exist in that song and just enjoy it. I feel like I can really enjoy myself with that one. You're coming to Omaha next month, but uh, are you on tour right now? No, no, we leave. So we leave in two days. (laughs) So the fact that there has not been a global shutdown today is very exciting um, because that happened the last time we were two days out. Um, But yeah, so we we leave in a couple days and then Omaha is the start of the second leg, the Western leg. So we're excited. Well, yeah, I was I was about to try to start to wrap things up by saying, well, I'm glad that there hasn't been a pandemic and you're out there on the road. You got to start and that kind of blew up in my face. Don't jinx it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. It's going to be great. It will be great. And I, I really love the new album and I really love getting the chance to talk to you today. And I, I hope you enjoy Omaha when you when you end up here. Oh, yeah, we, we can't wait. We're looking forward to it. Thank you so much for for having me on. This was really fun. Riverside Chats is a production of KIOS 91.5 FM, Omaha Public Radio. The show is produced and edited by Courtney Bierman. Our original music is written and performed by The Real Zebos, and our artwork is done by Ben Matukowicz. Remember, you can find the backlog of all these conversations wherever you get podcasts. Subscribe today, and please leave us a review. As always, thank you for listening. I'm Tom Noblock. And to end today's show, here is Black Earth, Wisconsin, from the new Rat Boys album, The Window. The Window.